Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are facing extreme censorship alongside many other true seekers out there. If you want to support the show, please go over to mattbelair.com and sign up for the email list. Join the Academy for exclusive and censorship-free content. Become a patron. And most importantly, consider doing three kind acts today wherever you are in the world. Now let's get into today's show. Our guest today is a mental health advocate who has been exploring the mind and brain for years. He is a CEO and co-founder of MindLift, a neurofeedback training platform. Welcome to the show, Aziz Kadan. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. I forgot to ask you, and I hate when I do that. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You pronounce it perfectly. Don't worry it about good? it. I mean, if, you, if you really want to go, uh, you know, master level with that, then you would say Aziz Qadan. But that's, you know, that's just, you know, don't worry about it. You, and you we always try to get to the master level. And that, <clears throat> that sounds so nice. You know, the accents of the world. I think the, you know, Canadian, North American, English accent is maybe the most plain. So it, it always sounds uh, fancier. So I appreciate that pronunciation. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have you on the show. You're doing some interesting work. Why don't you just start us off with a little bit about your background and, and what you got, uh, you know, doing uh, meditation, uh, brain work, the field of neurofeedback is very fascinating. It's, it's making um, meditation and mindfulness a lot more accessible to people and interesting because we don't, you know, a lot of people say they don't know what they're doing, but with the neurofeedback, it takes the guesswork out. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I'll tell you, like, I'll give, I, you know, I'll give you the rundown of my story and why did I even get into this? Um, so it, it's, it, starts like, it starts like this. I, my background is in computer science. I started my degree in computer science when I was uh, at, a, at a fairly young age, when I was 16. And then um, while I was doing my computer science along with high school, uh, so I'd go to high school every day and then go to the university to kind of also work on my degree. Um, and so uh, while I was doing that, I was uh, being sent to conferences in the field of neuroscience by no one else but my father. So he's, he's actually, he's a neurologist that, you know, just didn't have the time to go to these conferences. So he would send me out there, tell me, you know, just go and take some notes, learn, and then transfer that knowledge to me. I just, I don't have the energy to go to these conferences. Um, and so I would do that, right? I would go to these conferences full of doctors and uh, neuroscientists, and I'm just a kid running around between them. Um, and that got me um, super interested and super into the neuroscience field. Now, when I completed my degree in computer science, which was um, a year after I finished high school, I had the ability to go into the technology world early on. So I started working as an engineer um, in an Israeli tech company. And I still went to these conferences that my dad sent me to. But during this time, I also started getting interested in what's around me. Okay. And what was around me was uh, two of my siblings that were diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and the one who diagnosed them again is my father. And I asked him, hey, you know, why, why, like, why, are, they, why are they taking these medications? I mean, you know, they have side effects. Um, these side effects are, you know, not great for anyone. Um, you know, although they are able to achieve what they want in terms of uh, scores in school, but the side effects like headaches, like sleep, loss of appetite, it's not, it's not ideal. He told me, look, there are alternative methods out there, um, but they're just not accessible 
they're not affordable. And one of them that he directed me to is called EEG biofeedback or uh, neurofeedback. It is a type of brain training that directly measures the brain activity from the brain using EEG sensors and translates that into visual and auditory feedback on a screen. Now, while the user is seeing that feedback on the screen, they're simultaneously training specific areas in the brain, uh, which can be used for focus, improved focus, or improved relaxation and other use cases, which I will explain more about later on. So essentially, I started looking into this uh, field and I found out that with all of the technological advances, um, this field has not been disrupted. It still operates, um, you know, only in a few clinics around the world, not many, and the equipment is very outdated. You needed to go to the clinic 20 to 40 times throughout the year, put in uh, these EEG electrodes in the clinic and start you know, doing the training while the clinician is sitting next to you. So it's not very, you know, not very modern. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, and that kind of got me into the field of combining both brain and technology. So brain technology or neurotechnology um, and to create this uh, company, which I'm part of right now called MindLift. I would explain a little bit more about MindLift in a second, but I'm sure you have questions. But essentially, MindLift actually brought neurofeedback from something that can only be done in the clinic to something that can be done from anywhere. Um, and that's our vision. And that's really how we started. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, I've had uh, Arielle Garten on. She's a co-founder of Muse as well as uh, Chris Amony. And the field of neuroscience I find very exciting just because it makes what you're trying to do more accessible and visual it, 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 and like you said, auditory, like it gives you a frame of reference. You know, like I said, the biggest um, pushback I get when I, I tell people, you know, give meditation a try is that they say they don't know if it's working. And so this really provides an opportunity to not only get the feedback, but also create ways to make the training like fun and interactive. Like if you're going to the gym, you might not know what you're doing, but you pick out some ideal exercises, you're going to start getting the result you want. And I feel like it's pretty similar to the neurofeedback. And um, yeah, I'd love for you to expand on MindLift and maybe get into some of the techniques, some of the science and, and how you're structuring those programs and, and what results you're looking for. Sure. I mean, you, uh, you mentioned uh, Ariel uh, from Muse. Um, so that's, that's a super important point because our approach was let's use existing devices out there like the Muse and focus on building the, uh, a great software to be used with the Muse and offer the full clinical neurofeedback experience from home, right? So the Muse offers you right now the ability to do meditation and get real-time feedback. We took that and we created a whole platform uh, that is using the Muse, but also puts in the clinical expertise in it directly by working with therapists and also provides a more kind of a customizable experience for the user. I'll explain about that in, 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 uh, in a second, uh, but essentially you mentioned also gyms and their connection to neurofeedback. And I think the best way to, to kind of connect between gyms and neurofeedback is think about it, um, you know, think about neurofeedback as the mirror um, in the gym. When you're doing a specific exercise in the gym, you look at the mirror to see if you're doing it right or, you know, um, or wrong. 
Um, and you can see it by the movement, right? Sometimes, you know, we catch ourselves just doing a very weird movement and then we see in the mirror that it actually looks weird and our back is not, you know, is not, is not, we're, not, we're not moving our back correctly and, and it actually looks um, bad in the mirror. And this allows us to readjust, right? So we readjust our motor movements based on what we see or the feedback that we're getting from that reflection on the mirror. And what neurofeedback does, it does the same thing, but it basically reflects to you what's happening in your brain with these cues uh, that are either visual or auditory. So when you're trying to get into that focused state or uh, relaxed state, um, you know, your EEG is being measured uh, when you're doing neurofeedback. So your brain activity is being measured using sensors. And whenever the software detects that while you're doing this activity, you're drifting away or you're losing concentration, um, then you're, you're alerted. Okay? So you have that mirror in front of you. So you readjust. And by the way, the readjustment should and does uh, happen um, automatically, subconsciously. Okay? So your brain actually starts to learn how to um, apply the learnings that are coming as a result of these uh, adjustments. And now if we want to get into more scientific terms, then this is called you know, operant conditioning. Um, and so basically what, it, what happens, uh, you know, if I, if I zoom out a little bit, when you put this EEG on and you start, let's say, playing a game, and this game is controlled directly by the measured brain activity, then what ends up happening is, if you, for example, you're training for focus, you know, the more that you're focused, the faster that, let's say, the game would run. Um, and the less you're focused, the slower it will run, okay? So you're getting positive reinforcement directly in the game based on the activity that is measured in your brain. Whenever you're focused, you're getting that reward. And when you lose that concentration, you know, that, you know, just, just that reward just, dis just disappears. Okay. And this in itself creates an operant conditioning loop that over time will help your brain be in a more focused uh, state just because of that, you know, these small rewards that you get along the way. This is neurofeedback in a nutshell, um, a very simple, concept if you think about it the implementation of it until now has been extremely complex and that's the issue right that's the issue that we wanted uh, to solve so when we started the company we mapped out the mental health landscape um, and we, tr we tried to look at you know what are the things that are missing um, we understood that you know the best way to provide um, neurofeedback was to work with first of all to go and work with professionals with the mental health providers that you know live and breathe this um, this let's say this knowledge they they have it right um, so go work with them we've built a whole dashboard for them so that they can customize training protocols for their own patients and then we've built a consumer grade app so that people can take you know uh, the, the use device home along with our app and start training based on the customized protocols that these clinicians have created for them. Um, and this steps into a, a major issue in the mental health landscape today, which is the lack of access. You know, if you wanted to get, you know, mental care right now, um, it's, it's, it's hard to find that if you're in a rural area, for example. And that's why 60% of the people that are diagnosed with a mental health issue just don't get the care that they need, right? Um, and so our way for solving that was, you know, being able to offer people the ability to do, to get proper mental health based on proper measurements from the brain. Um, and while getting that 
clinical supervision being done remotely. Okay, so you can do it all online, but you, you know, you're not only getting a, a wearable device that is just a gadget, right? You're getting a wearable device, an app that, is, that has training that is customizable for you, and the needed clinical supervision um, to guide you through your, your whole training program. It's a, it's a big vision, but that's what we've been working on for the last six years. Wow, that, sound, that sounds amazing. And it, it also sounds very exciting because I feel like there's a lot of applications. And so for me, my immediate application goes to sports and, incre and increased performance. And the reality is the numbers, especially this year with what's going on in the world of uh, depression, um, mental health, just, I don't, I don't know, any category or subcategory of anxiety, stress has got to be going through the roof. So I'm curious if you can go through um, maybe a couple example programs, some applications, and then like, how do you measure those results? Because I see on the website, it'll go through the, the brain waves and then also into the gamma brain waves, which I know that there's conflicting science around that. And I'd be curious uh, your views on it. You know, I've been aware of gamma brain waves for about five years. Um, apologies if you can hear my baby screaming. I don't know how good the microphone is. If you don't give her her Cheerios, she can kind of freak out. <laughs> um, but the gamma brain waves, I heard about about five years ago, and I, about, I found it fascinating. And, it, and originally, people were like, oh, th this is a bit of a myth. And then more science has come out. I was like, no, I think it's legit. And I was able to access these interesting states uh, through breath work and other techniques that I could feel different in the body, but I didn't get measured with neural feedback. So I'm curious if you can kind of uh, touch on some of those topics and, and what your research uh, would suggest about those. Sure, sure. So I, of course, I mean, I'll, um, you know, because the audience, I, I would assume, is mainly interested in, um, in uh, how this is relevant for athletic performance. I'll just mention a few things about the relationship between EEG and uh, basketball shots, for example. Um, so recently there's been, uh, there's been some research on that and, uh, they found that, um, there's a, I mean, so one of, I'll give you like an example. One of my uh, colleagues, um, that I know, uh, has been doing some research in that area and he brought, uh, basketball players, uh, and, in, in these, um, um, basketball players had the task of, shooting shooting uh, the basketball um by the way i'm not sure shooting basketball is shooting a, a, a ball is the right term in english i'm just um i'm literally yeah oh yeah here. yeah shoot yeah that works <laughs> yeah shooting the ball yeah. shooting some hoops or yeah, something like shoot. that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um works. and they so they measured their eeg in real time while they were doing it and they wanted to see if there's a uh you know they can see a specific pattern uh, between missed shots and good shots, and it's the, the the results are astounding. So they found out actually that there's a one tiny thing that is different uh, between these two cases, which is the upper alpha in the occipital area um, um, and the upper upper alpha in the in the motor area. So what is upper upper alpha? You know, when you're talking about EEG, you're talking about brain waves, okay, and Brain, you know, and okay, actually, let's, let's, let's define EEG first. EEG is basically um, the measure of the current, you know, uh, activity or electrical activity in the brain, right? So you put a sensor on and it measures uh, the electrical activity that is 
um, that is in that area. Um, and then this electric activity can be decomposed into different segments, okay? Let's call these segments frequencies. Um, you have alpha frequencies, you have beta frequencies, theta frequencies, and each one, each one of these frequencies represents a certain range, right? So alpha frequencies are uh, uh, from eight to 12 Hertz. You mentioned gamma frequencies, it's sometimes even above 40 Hertz, okay? So they're very fast. Um, and as, as you might know, Hertz is basically the number of cycles per second. Um, and so uh, frequency that is uh, three to seven Hertz, as you can imagine by the number, it's very slow, okay? You're talking about three to seven circles um, uh, per, uh, per second, and that's theta. Okay? And, and this, this frequency, for example, you see it amplified, this type of brainwave, you see it amplified when you're in a daydreaming state or a mind-wandering uh, state. Alpha, on the other hand, which is eight to 12 hertz, it's, you know, it's neither slow, neither fast. Um, you can actually, when you close your eyes, your alpha goes up, okay? Or um, in, in a very relaxed, when you're in a very relaxed state, your alpha also goes up. So you can see clear um, distinction between alpha and relaxation. Sorry, a clear relation between alpha and relaxation. Um, so okay, so now going back to that, to that, you know, to that study, they realized that the upper range in alpha um, is is lower in the occipital area in the brain when people um, have good shots in basketball, um, and and when uh, the bad shots have usually higher. Um, in uh, upper alpha amplitudes. Um, and so then they figured basically, and that taps into or connects to other research studies that have been published on this. This shows, or they figured that, okay, they, they should connect this to how to actually train athletes to uh, get, uh, let's say, a higher percentage of, of good shots. And it was actually to train the upper alpha in the occipital area uh, sorry, to downtrain it, okay, just to imitate the real world scenario uh, from when they measured what happens when they try to shoot um, uh, the good shots, okay? Um, and this is only like a, a, tiny, a tiny piece of information in a big world uh, surrounding, you know, EEG and um, uh, neurofeedback and, 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 and athletic performance. Uh, but this is, this is usually the concept. You identify a certain pattern that happens uh, that is related to something that happens or an, a certain action or a certain result, okay? And then you try with neurofeedback to augment um, the brain to be able to produce that pattern more often. So in the case of uh, attention, for example, usually if you take a, take a look at the research, the case of attention, um, usually you have, you know, people that have, let's say, attention difficulties, they have lower uh, beta brain waves, which are responsible more for alertness and attention, and higher theta brain waves that are more kind of like the daydreaming uh, related uh, brain waves. So what you try to do with neurofeedback, you try to push the theta down or to, de to uh, down train theta and to up train beta. And the way that, it, that this down training or up training happens is that while the, you have the EEG on, you will get positive feedback on the screen only when your theta is below a certain threshold. And at the same time, your beta 
is above a certain threshold. So only when these uh, two criteria are met, you get that positive reinforcement. And so this can happen you know, every second, this can happen every two seconds, this can happen consistently, and this can happen every, I don't know, 30 seconds. It really depends on you know, the thresholds that have been set for each frequency and how your brain is responding to it. But if you think about it, like if you really take that concept and think about it, it's really operant conditioning. It's like training something. It's a, if we, it should remind us of that training that they've done, you know, the, the Pavlov uh, training with the dogs. When, whenever, um, you know, they gave the dogs food, they would ring the bell. Then, of course, because, uh, sorry, they would, give the, they would give the food to the dogs. They would ring the bell. And, of course, because of the, the food is in front of the dogs, the dogs would go ahead and salivate. Um, and then they, you know, they did this, they did this once, you know, over and over and over and over again. At some point, they stopped giving the dogs the food and only ring the bell and the dogs would start salivating. Okay. So this is also based on the classic conditioning uh, method. Um, and in neurofeedback is similar in a way where you're conditioning the brain to get to a certain state through the training so that after a few sessions, usually 20 to 40 sessions, the brain should automatically start getting into that state without the training though. That's amazing. It makes me really excited because of the reverse engineering aspect of it. When you can identify um, what brain waves are most optimal for what you're doing, and so it makes me think of a few things. The first thing I'd like to kind of ask is, um, you know, when you when you train a state, let's just say you're training alpha, beta, theta, whatever the heck you're doing for whatever purpose. Once you master that state are you able to slide into other states or does it lock you into one? Uh, my assumption is that you're able to entrain um, different states and access them uh, when you need them. And then the other question I had, which is kind of a side note, but what state of brain waves do you think uh, like some sort of Yogi or ascended master would be in throughout the day? Like I've always been curious if it were possible for me to go around and be completely, you know, quote unquote enlightened where I'm just like completely surrender to the universe and I feel happy and I'm, and I'm optimal. I'm so far away from that. Um, but I'm curious if, uh, you know, if you've ever studied anyone like that, what you think their brainwaves would be like, like if we're going around the day in a quote unquote enlightened state, what would that look like on an EEG? Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I think, I think that there have been a few studies uh, that they've done on, um, like where they placed EEG on monks um, in the Far East. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I need to revisit that, but if I'm not mistaken, it was higher, um, higher alpha, alpha state. Um, and by the way, alpha and SMR, so alpha is like 12 to, uh, sorry, eight to 12 hertz. Um, SMR is 12 to 15 or 13 hertz to 15. Um, what's what's SMR? SMR SMR is basically it's called the sensory motor rhythm. Mm. Um, it's a very it's kind of like it's a brainwave that is in between. It's neither fast or slow, and it's usually in this in the motor area um, of the brain, and it represents a relaxed, focused state. Okay, so for athletes, also if you look at the uh, research studies done um, on neurofeedback and and athletic performance. Uh, or peak performance, it's usually up training SMR. Uh, it's usually up training that specific um, a brain frequency. But yeah, so going back to the subject, uh, I think that that um, 
Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that would be that would be higher alpha. Uh, alpha is really uh, associated with with a very relaxed state, state, right? So you have people, but when they close their eyes and get it, they get into a relaxed state, you start seeing their alpha going up, up, up. Um, and some people, even when they open their eyes, their alpha wouldn't doesn't go down fast enough. And by the way, all these measures that we're talking about can be used as you know as a tool to assess your current brain health. So, and that's one of the things that we did in our uh, developments. We've developed this assessment that allows you to measure your brain activity from different uh, locations. And then based on how, for example, how your alpha brainwave behaves when you close your eyes and how it behaves when you open them back again, you can understand a few things about the person. You can understand what, um, you know, what, what is the current uh, mental state or at least get an indication Right. So, for example, if I uh, if I didn't get much sleep last night um, and you do that test on me right now. So where you, you know, you, you place the EEG on, I close my eyes, my alpha would go up. OK. Um, and then I try to open my eyes again. Normally, my alpha should go down, like should crash down. But if I if I'm in a lack of sleep state, <laughs> uh, it, will, it will it will take some time until my alpha goes down. Right. So I'm still kind of like in a drowsy, let's say, um, state, even like when I, if I close my eyes for like, let's say, 30 seconds and then try to open them again. Okay. Um, and you can see that with EEG. That's the beautiful thing. But if, if somebody didn't have, a, a, let's say, if somebody had a good night's sleep and this still, this pattern of alpha not getting back on track on time still showed, then this can indicate other underlying issues that the clinician can then try to figure out based on the other aspects of assessments that they use for this patient. So imagine, you know, today when you give somebody, um, you know, to, if you try to assess the current mental health of someone, you would usually go with these subjective questionnaires. How did you feel about this in the past two weeks? Uh, has this happened to you in the past two weeks? You know, these kind of questionnaires and self-reported questionnaires. And that's your currently only available tool to understand what's, what's going on. But if you combine this tool along with objective data coming directly from the brain, like EEG and like the pattern that I just described, you can probably customize the therapy or the training that you're giving to your patient a lot better, right? Uh, and make mental health finally something that is data-driven, objective data-driven, right? And that's, that's really uh, the mission. Now you asked me another question and I totally blacked out on that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's all right. That's a, that's a wonderful answer. It made me think of a whole bunch of new questions. So I'm going to throw them all at you and see, see what you, <laughs> uh, see what you can manage. So um, I actually even forget the original one because I was, I was kind of, kind of following along. Um, so I'm curious about, um, you know, what brainwave are people in if they're stuck in stress? One of the things that I've, I believe to be true, and you can correct this if this has been um, false, but I feel like people wake up and then they kind of get into this stressed out state. So they're, they're stuck in beta all day and they're never able to drop into alpha, whether it's meditation or theta or something like that. So when they wake up, they believe that life is beta or higher stress. Mm -hmm. And so because they haven't, uh, you know, maybe in a long time could be potentially months, but for many people years, they're wake up and they're immediately in beta all day and kind of a bit of a higher stress. And so I feel like 
moving into these other states alone starts to break that pattern. And then what that allows is the brainwave entrainment to allow us to get familiar with the alpha state, familiar with relaxation. And so if you're working all day and, and you realize you're stressed, you can just take a few moments and you know relax. If the kids are driving you nuts, you're able to kind of relax. But if you're always stuck in uh, beta or high stress, it's going to be harder for you to achieve that. Um, and then I kind of want to throw some other stuff at you, but the um, like the science on this for like reverse engineering, like have you seen uh, what is some compelling science you've seen to show that this is effective? Because I feel like we now have the um, technology to make it accessible and to get the feedback, like you said. And it's just not adopted yet. You know what I mean? Like I remember yeah. using the muse and I was like, does this thing work? Like how the hell does this thing even work? You know, like I got birds chirping in my ear and things like that. But you know, that's been, that was like five years ago. I think I first, I first put the muse on. And so we've come a very long way. And I feel like this kind of technology is promising because we can measure the results we're getting and then we can track it. So we can now measure if something's off or, um, you know, we need to upgrade or improve something. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So there, this is so many subjects that I can talk about right now. Um, so feel free to stop me anytime if I you know, go overboard with my time limits. That's all right. <laughs> Whatever you want. Yeah. But it's, just, uh, it's, it's a lot of things to say. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll first of all, talk about um, the technology piece and, you know, what is, what has changed since the first consumer EEG device came to the market? Um, I think just software has gotten much stronger. I mean, EEG sensors are just, you know, they're EEG sensors, you know, they measure the brain activity and then the, the let's say, the brilliance is what can you do with that brain activity? I mean, it's just random numbers. What can you do with these random numbers? Not random, sorry, but they're just a series of numbers. What can you do with these numbers that might seem random? Um, and that's really what we've, uh, we've, been, we've been focusing on. And I know other companies that are also doing that some companies took that to the area of sleep, by the way, where they would monitor your brain activity during your uh, sleep. And, you know, what, you know, in your first few minutes uh, in bed, they would try to play specific music that will make you fall asleep faster based on the current brain state that you're in that they can measure from your brain activity. Okay, so some people took it there. Some people like Muse, you know, stuck with meditation, uh, which is great. Um, and they, you know, kept working well in, in meditation. Um, and companies like us, we said, you know what, let's actually provide people with more data um, and also be able to train them. So one of the things that we, uh, we've been working on is also while you're um, doing your neurofeedback training, which, yes, as you said, might seem kind of weird, not weird, but also confusing because you're putting something on and you're getting feedback. You're not necessarily sure what is, what is that feedback? What are these birds chirping in my ears? Uh, but essentially, we try to visualize or quantify your progress by showing you before and after pictures of how your brain, your brain looks like, like brain maps, or look how your alpha has actually changed over time. So you start for the first time ever um, to measure um, a parameter or uh, physiological data that, that, did not, that we just didn't have access to before. Just like when Fitbit came in and we were you know, suddenly able to measure our heart rate easily um, and heart rate variability and see, you know, for example, when we're stressed more, when we actually do more activity and when we need to do more activity just by wearing that bracelet. 
Uh, so the same, we're trying to do the same thing here, but just understand the brain on a deeper level, which is extremely difficult, but definitely achievable with the current technologies today. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the subject of reverse engineering or, well, reverse engineering is, uh, it's kind of like an oversimplification, but I'm going to use this term because it just, it's a nice label. I like it. <laughs> um, so, so one of the more interesting studies that I came across uh, a few years ago and really opened my eyes was, um, you know, they put EEG on people in, during their sleep. And they wanted to understand, um, you know, what happens during a good night uh, sleep. And they saw that at certain stages, when these stages are no, uh, known for um, stages in which we actually conserve, you know, not only sleep, but also conserve information that we've learned um, the, uh, the past day, you see a specific pattern, which is the theta brain waves, which are, you know, um, the lower, kind of like the slower brain waves between three and seven hertz start to go up. Okay, they start to go up more than normal. Okay, and then they go down. Um, so they figured, okay, perhaps theta is actually related to memory consolidation, okay, to uh, uh, consolidating information and memorizing it uh, during sleep. So that was the, the theory. So they wanted also to see if, you know, if that was true, can we actually train people to consolidate uh, information or to, uh, uh, to, to have better memory consolidation when they're awake? Okay, so try to imitate that stage or that sleep state, when, you know, that state when you're sleeping, but when you're awake. So what they did, and, you know, they did this research in, uh, in a university here in Israel, um, they, 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 they brought two groups of people um, and they taught them a motor skill on a computer that they needed to memorize, okay? Um, and then uh, one group did a... Neurofeedback uh, neuro session for 20 minutes that uptrained theta. Okay, that neurofeedback session was focused on bringing that theta brainwave up. Okay, and the other group, what they did was just watch a normal movie. Okay, so something that is super passive but but not uptrain um, their uh, their theta. Uh, by the way, both groups watched a movie. One group, you know, the movie would change the the brightness based on the theta, and the other group just did not. You know, the movie was not connected to EEG or neurofeedback at all, okay? Um, what they found was that the group that did the neurofeedback managed to conserve the information or to consolidate the information and to remember that motor skill uh, uh, two days after, so 48 hours after, one week after, two weeks after, and even, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a month or two, two months after. So they actually managed to memorize that information for long term compared to the other group significantly at a significantly higher rate. Okay, and this is super promising because they basically imitated a state um, when you're sleeping, but they, they trained you to get into that state right after learning new information when you're awake. Now, obviously, this is, you know, these are promising results, but there are a few other things that need to be tested. Like, uh, for example, what happens if you continue to train theta and then end up with higher than normal theta, which we know is not also, it's not a great thing. Um, so... You understand? So there are things that, needs to, that need to be tested there, but this at least shows the, the promising area of looking at EEG patterns and trying to imitate them through uh, training. Another area is a cognitive 
uh, decline. They found that for people, you know, with aging, um, the the peak alpha for the individual starts to shift left. Now, what does that mean? Okay, I used a lot of terms here. Uh, peak alpha is basically when you look at the alpha, you're talking about uh, a brainwave between eight to twelve hertz, right? So peak alpha looks at okay between these in this range of eight to twelve hertz where is the strongest amplitude where, where where is it the strongest is it at the nine hertz is it at the seven uh, is it at the uh, nine uh, ten hertz eleven hertz twelve hertz where, where is it because it looks like um it looks like a mountain think about it like, like a mountain so where is the peak okay in that in that range um and they figured that uh for people who are young or for example athletes um, the 20s 30s and so on you would usually find um the peak more to the right, so more towards the 11 or 12. So it's very fast, okay? So, the, you know, they have very fast alpha. Um, and the people that are older, as they start getting older, they saw a correlation between their, you know, their, 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 their age, their higher age, and their peak alpha going left, going more towards the nine or eight hertz, okay? Um, and so for people with cognitive decline, they found out that you know one of the early signs of it is the peak alpha starting to shift early on, you know, before they actually start you know getting into an old age. So you can start you know to pick it up at a much younger age and to see that their alpha is you know their peak alpha is shifting. Okay, what can you do with that? So although there's not much research about what can be done with that using neurofeedback, if you can actually retrain the peak alpha to to shift to the right, uh, but at least if this is an indicator, um, you can use other preventative tools to prevent cognitive decline and hopefully, you know, uh, save lives, right? Um, and so this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on right now in the EEG world. Now, I'm going to say, I'm going to take all of what I said right now and, and kind of like put it in parentheses because it's important to know that while there's, you know, promising research, promising results, a, we should also be critical uh, of it and look at it, you know, in a critical lens. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of research in the neurofeedback field was not as rigorous as it should be. Um, and a, that's basically the main criticism right now against uh, neurofeedback. Um, some, some neurofeedback protocols are believed to be sometimes are affected by placebo effect. So, Although I'm in the neurofeedback field, and of course I'm promoting neurofeedback, I also have to be critical of the research. The research, that's why like whatever research I'm mentioning right now, these are the results, but, but, but of course it requires more in-depth uh, uh, studies and more, let's say, rigorous uh, uh, retests um, and, and structures uh, and protocols. So, so, and this is, by the way, this applies to a lot of fields, not in neuroscience, not only in neurofeedback. And so what we can know today can, you know, change drastically tomorrow. Um, but yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on in the research world and uh, neurofeedback. Wow. Well, that definitely sounds promising. And I feel like just having the data and the feedback, right, it, it's, a, it's a place to start, you know. That's what you need with any type of training to know if it's effective because otherwise you're – 
experimenting, which is good, but the more data that you can get, then you can refine the way that you train or the processes that you use because just like anything, it's, it's usually not a one size fits all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like meditation in itself is fantastic, um, but there are many different forms of meditation. Also thinking about what are the challenges that you are facing personally? Maybe you have higher anxiety. Maybe you, you struggle with um, stress. And so you want to use meditation or brainwave entrainment or feedback or hypnosis or any other tool um, to help with one specific thing. And so maybe one technique is going to work better for you. And that's what I like about MindLift is it seems like that there are different programs in there. So you can kind of test around and then you go out into the real world and you see if you feel different. You know, when I um, coach people and have um, everybody has a different goal. And uh, one of the things I like to say is that if you can be whole, happy, harmonious and full of self-love wherever you are in the process, you're doing amazing. I have not mastered that yet. I am definitely in, in states of stress throughout the day and anger and frustration. Um, but I work on it and at least it's meaningful. You know, it's like meaningful stress and frustration. Um, but I am always looking for uh, effective tools to help me navigate the day with more peace and more empowerment and more focus and more uh, you know, efficiency. And so I feel like this is really promising in a lot of ways. And I'm curious if you could speak about, um, you know, there's, there's brainwave entrainment, there's kind of biohacking, and there's also the Heart Math Institute. And, um, you know, we've only got about 15 minutes left, because I'm sure you're a busy guy. Um, so I'm going to throw those three things at you. And I don't know if one of them is, is more relevant to you. But I, I really am excited about Heart Math and what they're doing and, and just being in states of coherence, also states of empowerment. And, you know, it is linked up to the brain, um, but it's just the way that we live our life. So whatever that result is in the brain, you know what I mean? How do we integrate that into our body? So we are going around the day more peaceful, more empowered, uh, more focused, more centered, because when we're in those, this is just my guess, makes sense to me. But if we're in more alpha, we learn how to meditate, we learn how to take some space, then we, we, we can get into the realms of imagination, possibility, um, enthusiasm, positivity, and when we're directly focused and we're in higher stress, higher anxiety, whatever those brain waves may be, probably beta, um, you're not going to get into those states. So you're going to feel more disempowered. Um, you're going to feel like the world is just tugging you and that you have no time and space for imagination and creation. And uh, I think that everybody is capable of creating whatever they want. It's probably going to take longer than they think. Um, but you need to get into that space of what would I create? from an empowered space, you know, how do I want to design my life? And I feel like it's those spaces in between that give us the access to that imagination that'll inspire us to start taking that daily action to um, build our, build our lives deliberately rather than feel like the world is just tugging us and we have no control and we kind of feel like we're just kind of getting pulled along. For sure. I mean, these uh, small optimizations, um, I mean, think about it. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned goals, right? I mean, when you when you when you when you set a certain goal, um, and you want to achieve that goal, uh, you don't just go and say, "All right, okay, this is how, I'm just going to go achieve that goal." You actually build a process around it. It needs to be something that happens on a daily basis, small things that happen on a daily basis that will amount to something greater. So, when um, you know a tennis player um, 
tries to win the the, the championship. They, they don't just say, I, I want to win the championship. They actually add things to their training process um, that will help them improve by a very tiny amount on a daily basis. But because this is something that is in compounding, these compounding improvements, even if they're tiny, just having these compounding improvements day by day will result in something huge, right? So improving by 1% day by day will cause to, and if you think about the compounding effect of it, it will cause, it will cause to hundreds of percents of improvement, right? Um, after a year, right? So, so yes, this steps into, you know, using products like um, HeartMath, for example. I am familiar with HeartMath, and I think they have a great product um, that taps into the, uh, you know, heart rate and heart rate variability. I think that's, um, you know, this, this type of biofeedback is important. Um, and, you know, uh, there is always, in my opinion, a space for a variety of tools to use in your daily life uh, to become better. Um, and the, the, the thing that sucks about that is that, you, you know, if you, get, you start to get an effect, you wouldn't know exactly where that effect is coming from. <laughs> For example, if you're using a biofeedback and neurofeedback at the same time, you know, and you're getting better, you know, you just don't know where this is coming from. But what does it matter? You're getting better, better, right? And that's that's what's uh, what's important uh, most cases. Uh, so I mean, that's that's really what I what I can say about it. Um, and we know that athletes, for example, use this uh, you know types of programs, biofeedback and neurofeedback, for these even like a tiny percent of optimization. Um, this one percent can make can make a make a huge difference for them in the long term. And so, if athletes do it and they get that you know one percent improvement, you know non-athletes should definitely do it as well, and they'll get ten percent of improvements every day, right? And this is this is the way that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I love all that, and I like the the athlete example is really relevant to me just because it's it's been my interest and in my pursuit and what's allowed me to. Um, achieve the success that I've had as far as when I set a goal, you know, like the podcast, for example, is something that was inspired from something that I wanted to do and have um, these conversations. And when I started, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing, you know, I just wanted to have good conversations. You know, if I were, you know, podcasting didn't exist and I'm searching through the internet and I see mine left to be like, that looks super cool. I would love to talk to the people there and see what's going on. And it's kind of integrated into my life. And so there's been these um, quote unquote successes in a certain way. And I find it interesting sometimes where people will, um, you know, want that quick success. And that, that's what I want. I want that, I want that 1% improvement. I want to, it, from a martial artist perspective or an athletic perspective, um, whether it's snowboarding and how precise that is or skateboarding and how precise that is, I'm looking to figure out tools for mastery. But most people, if they don't have something that they're pursuing mastery, it could be art, it could even be entrepreneurship, it could be sports, it could be music, it can be anything, but they're looking to improve. They're looking to um, get better. And that gives them the catalyst to use these other tools and they can apply it everywhere. And so that 1%, right, if, you're, if you don't have one of those um, tools for a catalyst, which I highly recommend doing, I don't care what it is, art, music, business, something that inspires you to get better, woodworking, crafting, I don't care what it is, that goes to all other places in your life. And so if you don't have that catalyst right now, this type of training will, will you know, make you 10 times um, 
it give you 10 times the amount of benefits because now you're applying these things that that you haven't applied before where through martial arts and through snowboarding and skateboarding, I had to learn a lot of these things um, because I'm in a scenario where I have to, or I'm going to get hurt. And I might not even have known what principle I had learned at the time, whether it was to focus before a jump or, um, you know, visualize a trick or um, change my brainwave states or, or even effective training. So who, who knows what it would have been, but I, at least all of this is familiar. So, yeah. What I'd like to ask for, you know, as we're, as we're going down here, um, is there anything that you wish that we I had asked or we talked about? I feel like for me, I'm really excited about this merger between science and, you know, ancient uh, technologies and philosophies. Because before the 90s and, and neurofeedback and all that kind of stuff, you know, there are ancient texts talking about meditation and mindfulness and how to access um, higher states. And so that's been around for thousands of years. And now we're getting into this state where, you know, we can use science to help um, make that process more effective, more efficient, and then remove some of the mystery of saying, oh, this is actually what's happening. So now you know you're improving because sometimes when you're shooting in the dark, it's less inspiring to show up to practice, you know, mm -hmm. like at least when you go to the gym and you're out of shape and you haven't gone to the gym for a while and your body is sore, you're getting feedback that something happened. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be an improvement. And, and in mindfulness, um, we don't we don't always get that feedback. So I feel like it, it makes it uh, challenging sometimes for people to continue the process. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you, and you actually, so, so I agree with everything that you just said. Um, and one thing that you kind of uh, touched upon that, um, I totally agree with is, you know, finding that catalyst, no matter what, you know, the, you know, the, you know, each, each one of us has their kind of like main thing, uh, that they're going after, uh, in life. So, you know, for me, for example, it's the, it's entrepreneurship, right. Um, building this company day by day, uh, ruthlessly for six years. Um, and, and these successes might, you know, you might not feel them, um, on a day-by-day -day basis, but they actually compound and they amount to big successes month by month, year by year, and so on. But really, if you think, if you ask me, for example, about the one thing that helped me stay sharp um, or kind of stay motivated in the main thing that I do, despite all of the difficulties, and you know, as with as with athleticism and sport, um, and entrepreneurship is difficult and full of hurdles and especially if you're building a company in this space that is still as you mentioned in the beginning it's still something that is kind of untapped right and people don't know about this kind of technology they don't know about this neurotechnologies brain technologies this is something that is unknown so it's the starting business in this area is um is a challenge but we kind of overcome overcame this challenge because um and and this is i'm you know i, I would be kind of like i'm gonna dedicate a few following minutes, not to talk about neurofeedback and maybe talk about things other than neurofeedback, uh, just because I, I bet you're sick of hearing the word neurofeedback by now. Uh, <laughs> so um, one, as you said, like one of the things that helped me the most avoid burnout, for example, is being able to go home um, after a long day of work or on a weekend and just focus on music, focus on a creation that has nothing to do with my main thing, has nothing to do with my main image, has nothing to do with um, who, you know, what people know me for, right? And just do that kind of, you know, get into that different place, this escape, 
okay and and create and you know and because i think it might you know the way that i view it like one of the things that lead to burnout um and and, and extreme stress um that can lead to chronic stress which will physically hinder you is this feeling of the inability to control um what is being created the inability to not to feel that you don't even have the time to produce or to create because you're preoccupied with other things that are taking up you know space uh, and time on your schedule um, and so if you then try to create in a different avenue okay, if work is not allowing you to create right um, and then you but but you feel this urge to create and you go and create music or create art um, and, and many different forms this satisfies that urge this, this very human urge to create right and it's in our nature um, and this in my, I've been doing that for years and this has been one of the best things that I've done to have that catalyst of just doing thing, something on the side, music, right? <laughs> or art, any form. Um, so yeah, definitely what you, I, I, I totally agree with what you touched upon. Um, yeah, absolutely. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, I, I think it's even just from a simple term, it's, it's something that you enjoy doing, you're passionate and, and you're in that creative space mm -hmm. and you take, those lessons from the weekend into work it inspires yes. you and carries you in yes. and if, if you don't have them then there's less energy you know what i mean this yes. is like you're kind of you get stuck in the rut and that's what i feel like a lot of people get stuck in they don't um, have anything other than their job and sometimes it's a nine to five but mm -hmm. all they all they have to actually do is just first of all just ask yourself you know what are some things you'd enjoy doing um, and then just make sure that you put a little bit of time there because whether it's art or music and you say you put, um, you know, two hours in on the weekend or like 20 minutes, uh, four times a week that will compound over time. And if you did that for a year, your scale and whatever that would be, would be massively improved and you would get to enjoy that. Just like snowboarding for me, when I teach somebody, um, that's never snowboarded before, you know, it takes about a week, but then they can explore the mountain. Then they can explore other mountains with that skill that they've learned. Now they have something that they can take in different places. And it's a, it's a very empowering um, state of being and you can apply it to all areas of your life. So, um, and it's cool. You've been doing it for six years. That's about how long I've been doing the podcast. So we're kind of merging two different worlds. Good for you. That's great. No, and I totally agree that you can, you know, you can basically build your life um, by, you know, if you can imagine your life as a bunch of dots that are being put on a canvas and you're working on connecting, creating new dots and connecting them together. Right. Mm. Um, it's great to, you know, to connect, you know, what you, what you learn from music into your, for example, boring job, if you have a boring job, right. Some you may, might actually make your job a little bit more exciting. Right. Um, and I would, I really wish I, I could say that, you know, surfing taught me how to understand brain waves better, but it didn't <laughs> totally different disciplines. Uh, and this is this was a lame joke. Feel free to cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely got to keep it in there. No, I liked it. Um, well, you know, this has been this has been a pleasure, and I and I'm really grateful for your work because um, I agree with what you're saying about uh, how challenging it is for a person to create a business around something that we know is incredibly valuable, but hasn't been socially adopted yet. So when I wrote Zen Athlete like six years ago, um, that's about peak performance in sport and mindset. Right now, it's still ahead of its time.
but the mm. books behind the times because I took stuff that had already existed and I'm just saying, Hey, this stuff works, but it's yeah. not popularized yet. We're still focused on the gym and nutrition and, and, mm. and now it's coming up a little bit more, a little bit, but yeah. it's so important. And so the work that you're doing is so important and you're, you're a pioneer in that space and it, and it's a very challenging space to be in because in business, it's like, what do people want and, and, you know, who's ready for it. And so if you're creating a, your own market, you know, it's challenging uh, to be in. So I appreciate you and your work. Is there anything else that um, you want to leave the listeners with before we uh, end the show? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for, uh, we, we've been, we've been working hard lately on um, trying to provide educational content on brain health and mental health and how to manage a, Unrelated to neurofeedback and EEG, by the way, just, you know, things that are day-to-day and, and things that are really related to mental health in general. Um, we've been trying to do that uh, through our uh, social accounts lately, so through our Instagram as well. Um, and uh, so, you know, I would, you know, I think the, the content there is great. Um, people should definitely follow that page and, and just expect to see... Um, great content coming every day and to see our news uh, what's what's happening we're we're really hoping to achieve that grand vision of implementing proper brain monitoring in uh, the mental health landscape and so would love it for you to be part of that journey and and watch us while we do it hundred <laughs> percent sounds good to me and so where where's the best place uh, for people to either connect with you personally or stay in touch with mindlift yeah, I think I think yeah, Instagram is is the go-to platform these days. All right, cool. And it's how you spell it a little bit funky. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, of course, we have also the website where you can read more. Obviously, I just uh, you know, Instagram you can see all of the news and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, we spell it M Y N D. So mind with Y instead of an I, and then lift like so, lift your mind, right? So L I F T dot com. That's it. Mindlift.com. This is us. Um. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, this has been a, a pleasure and I'm, I have a muse too, so I'm definitely going to look into it. So um, awesome. I appreciate your work and thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for hosting me. My pleasure. pleasure. See you guys. Peace.